we had a customer come and look at our rack and I'll never forget this because it just hit home so hard but she was just like I just tried on a bunch of these clothes and I I feel the essence of the plants like you know that when you wear these clothes that are dipped in the plants that come from the earth you're experiencing Mm. that you're experiencing that in your everyday life and it's just like how can we get closer to the earth You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Mary and Emma Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer. We're sowing seeds of slow living through our community platform, events, and online marketplace. We started this podcast as a means to share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now. The farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. So come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now, let's dig in. Welcome to a new month. Yeah, it's July already. I want to say I'm really loving our new seasonal theme in the Almanac, which is Embrace. Because more than anything else, this time of year, I want to embrace summer. Feels like after all the waiting for spring, for the warm days, and for the garden to wake up, all of a sudden it comes, and then it's going so fast, and already it's almost the 4th of July. Feels like it's almost half over, even though it's not, but it feels like it. So I really love that as a community, we're encouraging each other to embrace the long days, the wonderful food, the sunshine, the herbs, the cold drinks evenings in the yard, all those things. Yeah, and this summer in the Almanac, as you mentioned, the theme is Embrace. If you don't know what the Almanac is, it is our online membership that makes the podcast possible. So it is a community of slow living enthusiasts. We kind of lay out our blueprint for each season of how we're going to live intentionally into each season. We have activities, we have prompts, we have recipes, People share pictures of their tomatoes, of their plants, of, you know, what's this? How do I make this? And it's just really fun. And as I mentioned, it makes this podcast possible. So you definitely want to check out the Almanac. We'd love to have you there. It's basically just like having the good dirt at your fingertips all the time. Yes. And our 100th episode of the good dirt is coming up in two weeks. Yes. That's exciting. We've had 100 conversations. 100 conversations on slow living and sustainable fashion, sustainable food, spaces, just all these wonderful interviews. We've met all these wonderful people. We've made many connections in the sustainability community. It's just really been wonderful. So we have a voicemail set up. It's 443-459-1950. And the voicemail is there for us to hear from you guys, from our listeners. We want to hear what does the good dirt mean to you? Do you have any questions about slow living What's an episode that really spoke to you that you're still thinking about? And something that's really fun is that we're going to be choosing one caller who calls in and leaves a voicemail to win a slow living consult with us. Do you want to explain what a slow living consult is? Yeah, it's basically just a conversation with us, much like the conversations we have on The Good Dirt, but it's with one of you, our listeners, that might be having 
some questions or some concerns about slow living in your life. Maybe you want to, you want more of it. You don't know how to start. Maybe you have some obstacles. Maybe you feel like it's completely inaccessible to you. Maybe you listen to all of this and you say, that's not for me. I have to move too fast or I have too many things going on in my life. We'd like to talk to you about that and help you realize that with just a few small shifts, you can make some real changes in your life that feel better, make you feel more peaceful, make you feel more intentional, make your life basically more sustainable. Yeah. Make everything better. Solve all your problems. Just (laughs) kidding. We don't promise to do that. No. But I do truly believe we believe here at The Good Dirt and at Lady Farmer that the world will be healed and made better as soon as we all learn how to slow down and do these things. So on today's episode, we have two young women coming to us from Los Angeles who are the creative minds and effort behind Rooted Botanics, which is a plant dye vintage house that brings worn and stained clothing back to life through botanic color. Their vintage garments are 100% plant dyed with ethically sourced or locally foraged materials. And as you know, this podcast is a place where we love talking to the brands that represent true sustainable fashion, the creators that are deeply motivated by a desire to change the destructive systems that are now the norm and forge ahead towards a new paradigm that's respectful of the health and well-being of human and planetary well-being. Yeah, and Rooted Botanics is no exception to this rule. Allie and Sarah are really doing the thing in full integrity, and I just love chatting with them and getting the ins and outs of their business and what they do and their art. They're true artists, and I can attest to the quality of everything they're doing because after this conversation, I ordered a t-shirt from them, and I love it. I wear it all the time. What color is it? It's the yellow one. It's the one that's di- that they dyed with beach coreopsis. It's really cute. That just sounds so lovely. It's as cute as they made it sound. (laughs) Maybe I'll post a picture. Yeah, you should. So we think you'll really enjoy this lovely conversation with these two creative and inspiring souls. And they're doing such wonderful and heartfelt work in the world. So here's Allie and Sarah of Rooted Botanics. I'm Allie, and I guess how we got started or how my background is, I went to fashion design school and kind of wanted to explore that realm of sustainability and fashion. And during that process, I just did my senior thesis on natural dyeing, like fell in love with it, spent that whole year experimenting with it. And then after school, I moved out here to L.A., And yeah, it just kind of lost touch with the natural dyeing aspect as I like became more into the industry. So I worked for a few different companies as a designer. And then Sarah and I serendipitously met at Mercado Sagrado. We both were volunteering there and we became friends like instantly. instantly. (laughs) And I think at the time we both were just, you know, unsettled in our jobs and careers and just like trying to figure out what we wanted to do with our lives and we kind of hopped on the subject of natural dyeing and we both were like let's do this together let's just die like that's fun I've never met a friend that also is into natural dyeing and so we started doing that and then I was kind of like simmering on this idea of wanting to have my own business and 
create something and I like thought about the idea of like natural dyeing with vintage and then I don't know I think we were just like hey like do you want to start a business like let's do this and I remember our first cute little date at this little restaurant called Justa in LA and we had our notebooks and we sat down and we both were like okay this is my idea and like this is my idea and we just kind of like rolled with that and we're like okay I guess we're gonna like start a business like that's cool but there was no pressure to it it was just like let's do this organically like we both had full-time jobs at the time and we were just like let's do it and that's kind of like where it started and it was a very very uh slow organic natural process without any pressure to be like all right like got to do this now I was just like all right I feel like working I don't feel like working yeah and we were both in apartments at the time and Allie didn't have an outdoor space I had like a little balcony with plants and yoga and then just like one day I brought home like the world's biggest tamale pot <laughs> and it was just like on my balcony and my roommate at the time like was so sweet about it and like did not care that every weekend I was like flooding the balcony with various things. (laughs) So what is Rooted Botanics now? Like what is the business now? That's a great question. Kind of every time we do something really exciting, it feels like the first time like Rooted Botanics is really stepping out into the world. Mm -hmm. And I think this past January, that's when we launched our website. We had already been doing a lot of markets story sales and stuff like that but the website I feel like really just made us global a lot of our customers are global now so we are a plant dye vintage company we source most of our vintage locally some online a lot of estate sales pile sales we take that clothing occasionally we'll alter it and then everything is plant dyed to bring it a new life new color and just an all-around new experience. Yeah, and our goal, like, moving forward is to work with artisans all over the world and kind of work directly with different farmers and, you know, kind of have this direct source for sourcing our materials. Also, natural dyes is just, you know, an indigenous practice, and we kind of want to educate our customers and anyone who's tuning in that, like, this isn't just something that we made up or that we're doing. Like, there's history to it, and it comes from, like, a place that we honor and respect and wanting to, like, give back to those communities as well by, like, supporting them by getting materials, like I said before. But, yeah, there's so many facets to it that we're continuing to grow. But right now, it's just kind of like we're just creating and we're artists and we're doing what we love and we're working with plants and flowers and barks and we get to share those creations with our customers. That's so cool. Yeah, that's wonderful. Sarah, would you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to Rooted Botanics? Yeah, absolutely. So hi, I'm Sarah. I have always been a really big tie-dyer, like all through high school. (laughs) I did a ton of tie-dye and I made these really epic curtains once on like this sheer polyester. They were my favorite thing in the world. I spent all day on them and then like because polyester is literally plastic, all of the tie-dye washed out of it. So I kind of feel like my relationship with tie-dye was like a precursor to plant dyes. And then one day when I was living in Brooklyn, I was really eager to like learn something new. So I was actually looking up essential oil workshops because I figured that would be a really interesting thing to learn about. 
did not find a single one, but I did find an avocado dye workshop with this woman whose business is called Fragmentario. So I go out to like far out Brooklyn to this warehouse. It was her first workshop ever. I was the only stranger that signed up for it. Like everyone else in the workshop was her friend. Um, Yeah, it was great. We did an avocado dye workshop and it was just so fun. And I really fell in love with it. And then I did a weekend intensive class with this woman, Liz Spencer, who's known as the Dogwood Dyer. Um, She hosts a class at FIT back when she lived in Brooklyn as well. And it was just so incredible. And I started dying in my Brooklyn apartment. And I'm pretty sure those roommates thought I was crazy (laughs) as well. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And then I moved out to California and... The first month that I was here, my boyfriend went out of town for two weeks. I was like, okay, I need to go out, make friends, like Mm -hmm. figure out life. And I bumped into Allie at the festival that she had mentioned. And we lived like five minutes from each other. Somehow we started talking about plant dye and then boom. That's so cool. Yeah. So I'm really interested in both of y'all's, I mean, it sounds really natural, like the way that you fell into it, especially you, Sarah, but Ali, you had like this real kind of transition from like fashion, fashion to kind of an alternative way of doing it. Yeah. I also work in fashion, fashion, and I think we both just have been in that industry and are just like very dissociated. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about that and sort of your like your aha moment or your shift Mm -hmm. in mindset or what kind of made you not interested in that? Yeah. So it was shortly after Sarah and I decided to start Rooted and I was just a little unhappy in my job, just figuring out like having these feelings of like, you know, I love being creative. I love designing, but I just don't resonate with the fashion industry anymore, even working for like I only work for sustainable brands and it just wasn't lighting me up anymore like I thought it would or what it how it lit me up before in the past. And I was just exploring like, okay, like how could I make this my full time thing? Like, could this even become something? And, you know, I was just trying to fix whatever was unhappy in the moment. So at the time I was looking for a different job, another job in the fashion industry, just trying to like explore different areas to see if maybe that could be a fix. But I was in between jobs and I wanted to, you know, have this like educational travel experience. And I found this woman, her name is Olga, and she's uh, based down in Antigua, Guatemala. And I kind of just like reached out to her and was like, hey, is there any way I can come live with you um, if you teach me natural dyes? Because she's this incredible indigo dyer. She's been doing it for like 30 years. And she was like, sure, when can you come? And I was like, oh, um, I I don't know. I have to like figure it out. And she's like, well, I need help now. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm I'm going down to Guatemala for a month. And cool. Yeah. I stayed with her and she kind of taught me a lot about indigo and a lot about working with like the native plants down there and she had her own little business in town and she just 
her studio was like right on top of her shop and it was like all outdoors and just being there made me realize that like this is what I want to do with my life like I want to be working with the plants I want to be working outside every day I want to be you know doing manual labor weirdly like I just I'd rather sit and like carry heavy pots and strain and mix and do those things than sit behind a computer all day which is what I was doing essentially so I think that was kind of my big aha moment of like I need to make this happen because this is like what makes me the most passionate and like lights me up like crazy. And yeah, so I think when I got back, it was just like us trying to figure out how to like keep moving and growing organically and simultaneously being like, how do I get out of the industry? Like, how do I save enough money to be able to do this and to leave and be happy. And, you know, like, I think there are amazing brands out there, sustainable brands doing amazing things in the industry. But, you know, I think I just came to the conclusion that it's not the right fit for me to be a part of it. I don't want to be, even if it's the most beautiful, sustainable product, like, I don't want to be creating something new. I want Mm -hmm. to do something on my own and have my freedom to not work a nine to five and just be able to answer to my own calls. That's awesome. What about you, Sarah? I think for me, like every job I've ever had has just not felt right. So like it took a while to realize that if nothing's feeling right, like maybe I just don't belong working for another person. And for full disclosure, I still have a full-time job right now, so I'm really doing two jobs, and the plan is definitely not to be doing that forever. But yeah, like Ali said, there are a lot of really amazing small brands out there. I've worked for some of them. I've worked with a lot of them, but you would not believe how much waste comes out of the fashion industry. I've worked with stores, and I think probably like my first early aha moment was oh this tea is like in a slightly different shade of blue than it's supposed to the value is below a hundred dollars so instead of selling it at a sample sale remove the tags and discard it and I've done that a lot with a lot of different brands and to me that hurts you know like that's not a way to treat anything that exists just as a society I feel like we really need to focus on using what we have and repurposing what we have and if it's not the right shade of blue like maybe donate it or create a new colorway and just find purpose for it yeah so I think both Ali and I have always really been into vintage I practically lived at Buffalo Exchange throughout college (laughs) um I think it's just like I've had the aha moment of I want to work for myself and create my own life. And then also, like Ali said, like, I don't want to be creating something new. It's just not part of my life ethos. So we are like, so we're like, give us the tea on the like sustainable (laughs) brands, you know, like because obviously I don't know if you know the history of our brand, but we started out, our goal was to like create a line of sustainably and ethically produced clothing. Mm. And I'm so glad, I know we don't really do that anymore in that form, but I'm so glad that we started that way because it was the greatest learning experience for us. Mm -hmm. And similar to you, now I'm in this place where I feel like I'm able to recognize sustainable brands that are doing things really well. 
also just the general mainstream consciousness has evolved a lot in the past five, six years since we've been doing this even. But also there's this whole other thing like greenwashing. I think there's a lot of brands that are doing great things and really trying and they really have integrity, but but it's still... And there is a score that too. Like yeah, of course. Brands to try to do their best. But like now I feel like you have some of the biggest brands out there who says our commitment to sustainability and like... It's like, like, what? Yeah, like, yeah. What is, it? is it posting on Instagram? Like, is that your commitment to sustainability? Yeah. So we'd love to hear you talk more about that, about, you don't have to mention any names or anything. Yeah, <laughs> but just sort of like, like your experience yeah. of that disconnect yes. and maybe expectations that you had that weren't met or times you were, I don't know. That's just like juicy. That's good dirt, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think it's hard when these brands, they come in with such, you know, purity like I want to be sustainable I want to create a product that's new and whatever and then it becomes this big corporate company and you no longer can attain those ethos anymore like society doesn't set you up to create in this way it's just it's unfortunate but it's just the way that a lot of industries work so like the bigger you become the more sacrifices you have to make that align with what you wanted to start with and I feel like I noticed that a lot in the brands like watching them get bigger and seeing like what dropped off from when I started there like you know, what changed. And I also think like with the fashion industry, it's like when you're creating, so like, you know, you're designing a piece of clothing, right? You sketch it up and you're like, okay, now I have to like pick the fabric and now I have to, and if you're creating your own fabric, then, you know, you have to get like strike offs and lab dips. And that's just like, yeah, it's just wasted fabric that you're essentially just throwing away. And, you know, and again, like kind of what Sarah's saying about that shirt, it's like, if you don't like the color blue that you get, and you know, a lot of designers are very specific, which is fair, you know, this is a creative expression, and you're trying to create something that is in your mind and bring it out into the world. And if it's not right, you want it to be perfect. But with that comes so much discard. And I think so much discard. Like, that's probably the number one thing. Like, discard, like, in the process of creating and discard, like, after. It's like a tiny hole. Like, oh no, a tiny hole. Like, can't stop it. Discard, get rid of it. And, like, obviously, there are people who do things to try to mitigate that. Even the brand I work for right now, like, they are doing their best to like become better and it's admirable and it's awesome. Mm -hmm. And there are sample sales and so many things you can do to repurpose what you've created along the way, but it's just not enough. And you saying discard, do you mean like trash can? Trash can. And if it's a big brand, not going to name names, cut it up and throw it away literally you cut it you remove the tag and cut it up Mm -hmm. and that like I said I've seen that happen with so many brands and it just it drives me absolutely insane and then sometimes a store associate will be like hey Sarah like I don't care that there's a hole can I keep this and I'm like yes but don't tell anyone (laughs) so is the reason for cutting it so that someone wouldn't go to the trash and pull it out and then not buy it or resell it exactly or resell it like I guess not necessarily the bigger the brand but the more high end of the brand like mm-hmm. more recognizable mm-hmm. yeah they don't want their name being diluted in the market they don't want it to end up at Beacon's Closet or Buffalo Exchange they want you to buy it from them or from whoever their partners are they don't want it to be like easily found I see it's so sad <laughs> yeah and it's oh like, my god I think people continue to do it 
because it's an industry standard. Like mm-hmm. I hear that word all the time. Yeah. Like, oh, it's industry standard. It's industry standard, not my idea. Like mm-hmm. this is just what we do. And it's like, why? Why do we do mm-hmm. it that way? I think these brands get so wrapped up in becoming bigger and money and greed and then they forget or they don't have enough time either, right? Like maybe they wanted to like do something with all this excess, but they can't because like they're running a business and they're having to do all these things totally. and it's too big and it's growing and you know, I understand that aspect. I moves yeah. like that, like before you know it, like you're a whole season away from whatever that project you thought you might do. Yeah. yeah, the standards in the industry are just, it's just so bad. And I think the sustainable brands are, you know, shaping the way, but they also still like, they're in like this overstory of just other brands. They have to, mm-hmm. you know, adapt to it some way, like the wholesale business. Like if you're doing anything wholesale, you're on a calendar, you're on a timeline. Mm-hmm. So like, if you don't, you can be creating a sustainable product, but if you're not meeting these wholesalers to deadlines, then like, it's a mess. It's yeah. yeah. You're trying to do good within the system, but like the system is what's broken. So. Exactly. exactly. So when a company calls itself a sustainable brand, what are they talking about most frequently? I mean, we have, there's all kinds yeah. of definitions of that or qualifications for that, but what do you find they're most often talking about? What do they attach that word to? I think it has a lot to do with the production, the materials used, the practices used, the factories used, and the practices mm-hmm. that the factories use. Yeah. Um, and I think it tends to go hand in hand with ethics and like using a factory that mm-hmm. pays a fair wage um, mm-hmm. and treats their employees with respect and monetarily compensates them. Mm-hmm. So that's, to me, when I hear that, that's usually what I'm thinking about. Um, And there are some brands that put out a sustainability report, which is really cool. And from what I've seen mostly, that tends to be centered around the production. Yeah. And it's interesting because being on the back end of it, working with factories and working with like full on production, I I find it really interesting. And it's frustrating too. kind of you were saying before, like, you know, greenwashing, but I think a lot of brands are using this trend of sustainability to be like, I am sustainable. Mm-hmm. I recycle the paper in my office or I, I do, you know, cut back on shipping, whatever the, you know, yeah. the, or like stop using so many poly bags. Yeah. It, again, it's all awesome and we should all be doing totally. everything that we can. Yeah. yeah. Everyone just wants to slap a label and be like, I'm sustainable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's keep the ball in motion like Mm -hmm. what's next yeah and I think there are very very few brands out there truly that are actually committing to like full sustainability and like to me like full sustainability is like not using plastic fabric so like not using polyester I understand like the repurposing of it and I get that there there's so much excess that it needs to be like repurposed into something otherwise it just sits but you know it's it's interesting to see brands be like we're sustainable yet your fabrics are all made of like a polyester blend where really like organic cotton that is sustainable Mm -hmm. that is something that you can grow and you know weave and create from the ground up and it's good for your skin and it's good for your body and, and it will last longer. Yeah, yeah, it can be compostable at some <laughs> yeah. point. Yeah. I think more and more people have become aware of the issue of the microplastics. So hopefully that word will keep spreading that when you have those synthetic blends and you wash your clothes and it washes off in the water and it ends up 
everywhere, including your, you know, your food and your bloodstream. And so it's, you know, they're calling it the new pollution. So people are learning more and more about that. And do you think that when that gets more mainstream, that knowledge, then this whole trend of, oh, recycling water bottles into jackets and stuff will decline? Because right now that's... I hope People get the idea that if, you know, if they buy that stuff, the recycled stuff, then they're helping. Yeah. And I think like, Mm -hmm. again, like it is a beautiful effort, right? Like people are like, they're trying to take something. And I I really like admire that and honor that. But I think it's more about educating yourself on like what sustainability like Mm -hmm. can be and like what more can you do. And I think it's not enough. It's just not enough. Yeah. And I think sustainability and health go so hand in hand like what's good for the earth is ultimately what's good for us and there will come a point where I think people actually realize that every little plastic thing like from your Brita to your water bottle to your utensils or cups or plates like those things Mm -hmm. should not have a place in our life and I get that as a society they do and it's so easy to become complacent and you can always do better but it's just what's around us everywhere Mm -hmm. and um yeah plastic and any random home good and plastic in your clothing that just goes back Mm -hmm. into the earth like that should not have a place yeah it's almost like we're fixing our mistakes but we're not actually trying to fix the systems Mm -hmm. that have created our mistakes yeah definitely so true so from the inside so circling it back to your point of view from the inside of these brands what are they saying what are the producers saying about the microplastics like you know are they saying oh we really shouldn't be doing this anymore but we can't help it because yeah. of economics I mean, surely they know what's going yeah. on what's the approach there it's honestly just it's the money it's the demand and the supply chain and it's you know obviously like the more these sustainable companies are requesting like you know you go to a fabric mill and you're looking for fabric and you ask like do you guys have any sustainable fabrics do you use organic cotton like what what are your options here and most of them would be like okay we have like one selection of organic cotton and then we have all of these like recycled poly blends or recycled cotton it's not organic but it's like recycled Mm -hmm. and you're like why don't you have more and it's just like it's so expensive and then it's expensive for brands to buy it like those recycled fabrics are way cheaper than the pure organic cotton and then you're spending a lot of money on fabric and then if you're trying to do like an ethical production you're paying your people more kind of what Sarah's saying because that's part of the process right like we all know that these factory workers don't get paid enough and if you actually choose to give them a fair wage and give them health insurance and paid vacation then that money goes into the cost of your garment and then all of a sudden your garment is going up. And then if you want to do anything intricate, you want to create this crazy, beautiful design, well, your cost goes up. And then if you want to create a new fabric and you want to create a new color, like your cost goes up. And then, you know, people in the world, they don't understand. They see Mm -hmm. that. They're like, you're just trying to get all this money out of us. Or, you know, they don't understand why the price is that, why it has to be that way. And that's kind of, you know, why the system is broken and why people aren't educated. And I think, we don't have the mindset of let's buy less with higher quality, right? You can have the same amount of money and just have less clothes, but be spending more on it where people are like, I want more and more and more consume, consume, consume. How much more can I get for like a dollar? And mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, so I think a lot of these 
fabric mills and a lot of these production people, they don't have the means to even go Mm -hmm. down that route if they want to. And like the craze of sustainability, I feel like it's hitting the brands, but like there's a lot of business that happens behind the brand. Like brands have relationships with so many people and it's like, I think that craze of organic cotton, silks, like natural fibers, that needs to hit everyone behind the suppliers yeah and like while we're talking about plastic I feel (laughs) just like another thing I mean Allie keeps saying organic cotton and I feel like we can't really glaze over that like organic means like no pesticides and that is just like another element that I actually feel like isn't spoken about a lot Mm -hmm. I feel like everyone's like plastic 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 but like more organic fiber that is Mm -hmm. not spraying pesticides on these huge fields like we need more of that as well like that's something Mm -hmm. it's a personal interest of mine right now and I just I'd like to see more conversation about that right because like we're putting these pieces on our body you know yeah. like it's our skin like is the most sensitive yeah that water <laughs> like is absorbed into the and earth. the poor people spraying those chemicals yeah. all over and yeah. working around them it's just like so unhealthy for everyone involved and the poor yeah. like hurts me to think about like the soil that's absorbing all of that God, yeah. And I think that's kind of another aspect as to like why both of us are so drawn to natural dyes, right? Because it Mm -hmm. goes back to like, okay, I'm wearing a natural fibered garment with a dye that won't hurt me either, right? Like I'm not Mm -hmm. absorbing the chemicals that Mm -hmm. the toxic chemicals that are in all these dyes. People are allergic to food dyes. So like, Mm -hmm. are you not allergic to like clothing dye? Like, yeah not like eating it it's not getting like into your system that way but it's you're your skin. Yeah. Yeah. You're absorbing yeah of course and to your point sarah i think the health effects of the fast fashion yeah. are probably yeah. the last thing to like really be recognized people hopefully are becoming more and more aware of the social and political problems, the human rights issues, and of course, the environmental. But we always try to make a point of mentioning the health effects as well. Like we've been saying, the pesticides used in the growing of these things and how it gets in the soil, the workers, oh, the dyes and the people actually working to do the dyeing in these places. It's a real thing. It's illegal to make rayon, which is a hugely used fabric fiber Mm -hmm. especially in the sustainability world not rayon specifically but like those like cellulose fibers that's a whole nother thing i feel like i could talk about for hours yeah oh it's a cellulose fiber it's derived from eucalyptus yeah that's not made in the united states literally because the process of that happening is so dangerous and the people who are involved with that and other parts of the world like the death rates are crazy someone explain that a little more just so people listening can understand what happens with the cellulose fibers i mean it's just really intense to break them down mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. really really intense chemicals yeah, I mean, yeah, it's basically that. I mean, it's definitely like a really intricate process, but there's a lot of chemicals and a lot of water that goes into trying to break it down into fibers. But I think with the manufactured, chemically made fabrics, yeah, it's just, it's toxic. It's toxic for the people. And you saying that, like, just reminded me too of like, you know, I did a bit of production work. So I spent a lot of time spending my days driving around downtown LA to like all the factories and all the fabric mills and the dye houses and the dye houses, man, that is, it's a sad thing to witness. It is just 
horrible. It's in it's, LA. So yeah, like here. Yeah. yeah. It's like conventional dying. It's like, it's hot. There's big machines. They're all wearing masks. I, when I go in there, I need to get in and get out because this is horrible and people work there all day long. And yeah, it's just, it smells gnarly. It, it, it's really. And then for someone to say like, oh, this isn't the color I want. Cut, cut, cut. Yeah. It's like. Wow. So since those dye houses are in LA and they're in the United States, do you think they're more carefully regulated than than maybe the ones overseas? I mean, is that at least an improvement if you're getting your garments dyed in the United States? I don't know about regulations specifically, but like, you know, a skeptical mind and like, I just, I know that people try to get past a lot of Mm -hmm. regulations and sometimes regulations don't even mean what they are. I'm sure you guys are familiar with that with like farming and whatnot, but that things, I don't know, it just kind of goes under without being said and sneaky and yeah so I'm not quite sure exactly but I can imagine that there's definitely some mischief going on there it's definitely true that made in USA doesn't mean like doesn't mean better or like automatically like it can mean that but no for sure it all goes back to like well what we always say at Lady Farmer which is know your source just that's the best way to live your life is knowing where is this coming from and then Picturing, going back to what you were saying, Ali and Sarah, everything behind the brand and mom, your question about like, what are brands saying about this? It's just so interesting to think about all the different people at all the different levels, like the person from the brand who goes to the trade show, who's talking to the person from the fabric supplier, who's there representing the fabric supplier. Many times it's one salesperson representing a lot of fabric Mm -hmm. mills, right? And so they don't really know specifically. And you're totally right, Ali. They're just responding to like this book where they're like, oh, you want sustainable? We have this and this and this. And then the person buying it is literally just trying to check boxes. The phrase that's coming to my head is education all the way down. (laughs) And then it's like a game of telephone. Mm -hmm. There's so many levels to it. And then by the time it gets to the rack and the the person buying it, it's like, how do you sum that up? I don't know. It's fascinating. It's like the education part comes from the brands too. I think that it's their responsibility to be like, this is the transparency of what's going on. Like, this is Mm -hmm. where your garment came from. This was the hard work that came into it. Like, this is Mm -hmm. why the price is so high. You know, I worked for a brand, Christy Dawn, and I think they did a really beautiful job being like, this dress is this price because we pay our work, our workers like a fair wage and, you know, this, that, this, you know, and that is so important. It's very important to us to tell our customers about our story and like our process. And just so people know, like, like you were saying, you want to know where your things come from and the story behind it and not just like mindlessly consume and buy without knowing like the significance of the, all the hard work or all of the people in the hands that touch that thing that you're buying totally before we get too far away from um, (laughs) the discussion about this plant-based textiles I want to name for people what those are and Mm -hmm. we're we're talking about things that really will surprise people bamboo people love to think they're buying a sustainable fabric when it's made of bamboo that's just a real good feeling hey you know bamboo's so plentiful but the production of it is so highly resource intensive and so highly toxic. So that's what we're talking about. And yeah, definitely rayon. Rayon and tencel is like iffy, like might be a little bit better and modal. It's basically, I think, 
you know, and I might totally be butchering this, but it's basically like a very similar process to rayon, but Mm -hmm. it's just like, I think they use less harsh chemicals and less water to create the fiber, but you're Mm -hmm. still, it's still a chemically used fabric. We actually sat in on a talk from a a representative from Lensing who makes Tencel. Now, and she showed us these pictures of the factory in Lensing, Austria, where they literally dump the factory water in to the the oh. lake in Austria where well they're like it's so clean they say it's the, zero the village drinks it now yeah it's like totally cir- so it like I mean we left that being like oh Lensing is the best but you know I don't know so <laughs> it's all marketing so li- it's Lyocell but Tencel is the brand name for yeah. that brand of Lyocell yes so they had this factory and everything that they claim is all zero waste. And I don't know how true that is. I wouldn't say zero waste. I think they say it's like closed loop. Closed loop. So, okay. So yeah, well, they're literally put the water back in the lake for the drinking water of this little town. You know, we have all of this information on our blog. We have great blog articles about all the different types of fabrics. And you're welcome to go to layfarmer.com and look them up and we'll link it in our show notes and you can get really specific about what the fabrics and how they're made. Yes. Tell us a little bit more about your process from finding your garments and then dyeing and selling them. And yeah, how does your production work? How does all that come together? So you can find us at estate sales, pile sales. We don't really go into Goodwill. We have a Goodwill curse. It doesn't work for us. It doesn't work for us. Uh, You you can't find stuff there? Never. Okay. One of our really good friends is like a Goodwill angel. She finds amazing stuff, but we just... We walk in and we're like, ah, frazzled. We can't do this. But if you throw us at like a pile sale and what is a pile, pile sale pile oh, pile <laughs> that's like piles and probably piles like and clothing 12 feet high yeah like is this an a- la thing because of like is it like yeah, extras we have a few or blocks that we really don't name just yeah there are only a few of them but um yeah so basically like we go and like heads down like looking for all of this clothing like pulling stuff out climbing the piles climbing the piles <laughs> You guys, you would not believe how difficult it is to find like a hundred percent cotton. So, I mean, we mostly try to go for natural fibers every now and then. If it's something really beautiful, like we will pull out something that's a blend, but we really prefer to stick to like cotton, silk, wool, linen, just truly natural fibers that are tried and true. We bring them home. We scour them, which is the process of using soda ash to remove all of the oils and residues, whether it be like from the pile or, I mean, usually when you get stuff directly from production, like it is caked with gunk and like the water will turn like very, very gray. It's so gross. It's really gross. And then you just realize like, again, going back to just like industry standards of like how clothes are created and people aren't seeing like this part of it so they don't quite grasp the concept of how dirty and gross yeah (laughs) so we'll do the scouring part that's the first step of all plant dye you just want to really strip it down so that there is nothing that will take away from the binding of the dye to the fabric so the second step is we mordant forgetting the best part where we take <laughs> everything out of the scour and we lay it down and then we talk about what color we want to dye everything Aww. and it's really funny because Sarah and I just like have this I don't know this like telepathy it's why we work so well together as a team but we just we're always on the same page like finishing each other's sentences and 
most of the time it's so easy to like pick colors because we're like on like we both have the same idea and if we don't we'll just be like all right like debate me and then we'll <laughs> like be like well I think it should be this color because well what if you're wearing it in this place or like this type of year you're in this garden or wherever and, then... uh, and like usually someone's makes more sense and then yeah like, there we go yeah so then like we'll divide out all of our indigo stuff indigos don't need mordanting and then everything else will we try to mordant like one batch of like colors so that you're mordanting and washing all at once so like for example all of the marigolds osages any like kind of like neutrally yellow maybe even a few pinks like we'll mordant that all at once so that it's really just like less water is the goal there and then mordanting is the process of it's basically how you get the plant dyes to stick to the fabric. Plant dyes work best with protein fibers, wool, and silk. That is like because of just the chemical bonds. Like it just works better with protein. So for cellulose fibers, it obviously still works, but you use aluminum acetate, which is a naturally occurring metal salt. And you basically put it in a large pot of hot water with the alum and yeah, the clothes will sit in there for about 24 hours and the alum binds to the plant fibers. And then once you're ready to dye, you throw it in the dye pot of your choice with whatever recipe you're working on. And that is how the plant dyes bind to the fibers. Yeah. And then from there, it's just like extracting the color from the plant that we're choosing. Every plant has like a different extraction process. Some is more lengthy or some need to like soak in water for like a 24 hours or a few hours before you boil it. Some require like certain heat levels. Um, and like sometimes we'll want like a darker color. So we'll like put something in first to like soak up as much of that color as it can. So it's like the densest most opaque color but then sometimes we'll just want like a softer color and that will be the last thing to go in because it'll get the least amount of dye material yeah so that whole process is really fun and we're just like basically like we have like yeah (laughs) we have like giant driftwood sticks that we use to like stir our pots that's so funny you said chemists but I thought well my first thought was witches and then yeah, I thought we- like <laughs> and then I felt like breaking bad like meth lab people oh, yeah. <laughs> those are my two yeah, very much resembles <laughs> that. so are you guys extracting the colors from the the plants themselves yes cool what are some good examples like indigo we oh. buy in a powder form we were just gifted some dry indigo leaf but the indigo you have to reduce i mean that's a vat dye so it's yeah. a totally different process than every other dye that we use that's really fun and then we got dried marigold osage is a bark so we get like big bark pieces same for logwood and those you kind of want to put on heat longer so it really gets most of the color out we use marigolds from our garden as well. What else do we use? Kutch, which comes in like a powdered form. Yeah, we, we got a few barks in powder form as well. Yeah, right now we're currently sourcing from this brand called Maiwa. They're based in Canada. We know um, them. Yeah, we love them. we love them. And I really like admire and trust where they're getting yeah. their materials. So mm-hmm. like at this time in our business, it works for us to like source through them. However, we are working on expanding that yeah. to smaller suppliers. We're going to be working with Stony Creek Colors to get our indigo. 
cool. And maybe walnut from them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the goal is kind of what I was saying in the beginning is different artisans from different countries, different farmers. And, you know, we know that a lot of these materials are not native or they can't be grown here in the Mm -hmm. U.S. So like, how can we support and like tell the story of the people that are in these different places? And, you know, it's it's a tradition. Indigo is Mm -hmm. such a traditional plant. And it's yeah, I think it's really important to tell that story and back to transparency as well. It's just how this material is produced and what their story is and what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think also, you know, we really want to be able to grow all the materials that we can here or wherever we end up. Or like forage ethically. Yeah. So yeah, I think we have a long-term goal of having our own farm where we grow all the materials we can to die with and create this community space to bring people in, do workshops, educational experiences, and provide in that way. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I love that vision. Uh, where do you forage now? If you get to forage at all, I realize you're in LA. and <laughs> no, It really depends. I mean, so eucalyptus is extraordinarily abundant here. So if there's eucalyptus yeah. bark on the ground. Which and there always is. Always <laughs> and if it's looking like super red, we're like, oh, let's take that. And then yeah. we just break up the little pieces. And then there's another plant, oxalis, which is a well-known dye plant that is invasive so i mean along the side of the highway we kind of are just like (laughs) (laughs) as much of that as we can one thing we haven't used that is local to california is sumac which is a very tannin heavy plant but it gives like a nice clear tannin and toyon oh yeah yeah yeah. but you you can't take Grim state parks and i feel like that's where i see most of the sumac or it's on private property so Mm -hmm. i mean it would be nice if someone who had a sumac was like you're welcome to my sumac yeah Yeah. and i think our goal too is kind of i think with natural dyes a big part of it is just experimentation so Mm -hmm. being able to like collect things ethically when we're out hiking which we do fairly often and be like, wow, I wonder if this can produce color and just like have our own um, experiments at home. Or if it doesn't, if it's not a super light, fast color, like can we bundle dye with it? Yeah, I think there's so much learning to be done with natural dyes. And I think it's fun to be able to explore like native Mm -hmm. plants because Native Americans used all these native plants for dyeing as well. So, and they're not necessarily like the most well-known dye plants either. Like it's not just the indigo or the matter Mm -hmm. root, like it's things that don't look like they have color but if you know how to work with them yeah like we coreopsis is a flower that you can dye with and we grow it in our garden and there's a beach uh, up in malibu and there's a bunch of like a different variety of coreopsis that grows on the cliffside and we were like well i wonder if this can give color and once they all kind of died out we deadheaded a few of them and just experimented with it and, and i'm so pleased yeah, it wasn't like the full petal um because they all were dead so it's just like these tiny little pieces of beach coreopsis and like when we bundle dyed with them they make these neon orange little worm shapes oh. so we love it. We get so excited. Like when we're working, we're like, oh my God, look at this color. Like, look what happened. It's just the excitement is yeah. real. We know about that. We can yeah. relate. Yeah. Oh, I wish you guys could come. Yeah. It'd be so fun to have a, a dye day all together. My mom has like the um fire out in the backyard and like and we'll just like Ooh, sit out yeah. there all day. <laughs> yes. 
It's so yeah. fun. And uh, we're having an indigo day at, here at the farm in June for our regional. Are y'all familiar with the fiber shed? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so we, we're a fiber shed affiliate here. We have the Chesapeake cool. Fiber Shed. Cool. So we're having a Chesapeake Fiber Shed event here in June, and we're going to do indigo dyeing and have vats out for people to dip stuff. But, yeah, I can relate to everything you're saying. It's so exciting and it's so fun. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm remembering this day in the fall we were doing. What were we doing? My friend Shannon got married, and her sister is a florist, super into dyeing. She did the flowers and then took them all from the wedding. And, like, we, you know, we cooked them down and did all these dyes. And then she she's also a quilter, so it's a gift for her sister. She, like, dyed the napkins from the wedding and the flowers and then, like, quilted them together. It was really That's beautiful. so beautiful. Um, but I remember that day, like, when we were pulling stuff out of that pot, we were just like, oh, my God, like, that beautiful yeah. orange color. It was yeah. so exciting. It was thrilling. That orange. I'm trying to remember. Was it the Dahlia? No, it wouldn't have been the Dahlias. Maybe it was the mixture of everything. But it was this incredible orange color. So we had all these vats of dye that were made from the wedding flowers. So, And I do these 100% organic cotton socks that I dye and we sell on our website. And so I dyed socks for the couple, you know, from their wedding flowers. And they got them for Christmas. (laughs) Just all kinds of fun stuff like that. And I want to ask you girls, since you do this so much, how do you get a good green? Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Alec and I are not, like, the most refined so <laughs> we're, we're just chaotic. Yeah, like, colors, <laughs> like sometimes we'll get it and we're like, yes. yeah. But then sometimes we're like, what do we do wrong? Yeah. Yeah. We're really just, recipe people, yeah. but I think that's what makes it the most fun. Like we give each other hand motions. She'll be like, how much uh, material do you use? And I'm like, this mouth. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Like, we're that's <laughs> totally how we are. I, and I love it. Mom never yeah. follows the recipe. Oh, well, we do have a secret for getting green on vintage. So (laughs) a little bit of a treat. If there is something that's like bright, bright yellow or bright, bright blue, we'll like dye it in either indigo or marigold and then it turns green. (laughs) And we're right in. If you've seen green pieces on our Instagram or website, that's how we've gone it. We did for a while try dyeing with marigold and then dipping in iron, which you can get like a sage green, but we've we've noticed that it really fades over time into gray. Yeah, like not on wool, it definitely fades. Yeah, so So we're working on it. I know there's a method of you know you can dye with osage or marigold or any yellow. Yeah, Yeah, and do the layering. People are so surprised that green's the hardest color because it's everywhere so why it doesn't translate it's kind of mysterious but emma has some friends that are getting married in a few weeks and i'm that age can you tell (laughs) (laughs) and they asked me if i would dye the groom's ties and they want a green and I said, well, we could try, but, you know, and I explained this whole thing and they're like really surprised. So um, I did a batch of nettle. I did a batch mm-hmm. of comfrey. Comfrey. And mint? Yarrow. Yarrow. Mm-hmm. I think those are the three that I ended up showing them. So yeah, so there was nettle, yarrow, and comfrey. And we didn't get really green. We got some kind of light olive. Green. The nettle and the yarrow. But the comfrey was a nice kind of, it was more gold. And so they, they've picked that one. Mm-hmm. But 
Do y'all have comfrey there as a ground cover? I don't. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? It, it's a yeah, very, very plentiful. I have just bushels of it out there right now. So I was glad they picked that because I have plenty. But in the past, I've gotten a nice green out of their young spring yarrow. Do y'all have yarrow? Yeah, we, we have do. golden yarrow that's native to California. And I believe there's another variety um, of yarrow that grows. But we haven't really done a lot of experimenting with that. I would like to do Try that. the leaves, the first okay. spring leaves. It's tricky, you know, with those, you have to forage carefully. You don't want to, the plant not to come back that you're foraging from. So it's very tricky. But we have, I have a lot of field yarrow here, so I have that. That's plentiful. But anyway, I just thought y'all might know a, a trick for green. <laughs> I think like what most people do is they'll do like a deep weld, like a very saturated weld and then indigo on top mm-hmm. of that. Like I or said, vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. Allie and I just aren't having the best of luck (laughs) it's also just like with natural or with vintage clothing you know I feel like if you're swatching with like a really good material you can get the desired results but with vintage it's like everything is different like depending on the weave and um, the type of garment or even the processing that it has went through even though we're scouring it so it's interesting that we're learning more about like we can look at a garment now and be like this is not going to hold color well or this will hold color Mm -hmm. well or this will hold certain color well but like these two colors will just not work with it yeah like the fabric just reacts differently every time which is you're also like what is happening it's just everything (laughs) is like a surprise and you're you might understand the chemistry and the whole process of it but your results just come up different every time if you're working with different types of fabrics well that's what's so fun about it and that's what's so unfast fashion about it because you know in the fast fashion world there's a shade that has to be 100 percent the same all the time yeah. with with such and such a chemical and such and such a process but what you guys are doing every garment is different so every yeah. color is going to be different and when we sell the naturally dyed things we actually actually put an enclosure in with the package a disclosure yeah or an explanation list enclosed disclosure (laughs) explaining (laughs) that a natural dye is a process it might not be perfectly even Mm -hmm. but it might even fade some I mean I do my best for color fasting but no absolutely we have that on our website as well and on our yeah I think we say something like when it fades, it usually just adds to yes. the history of the yeah. <laughs> I mean, I imagine that your customers are like, if they're like shopping, yeah. you, they probably like love that. But do you get people complaining at all? Not yet. We haven't yet, but we're definitely expecting it. Yeah, it just we, comes with the territory. I we, feel like yeah. I've got 10,000 new followers. <gasps> and I'm like, how many of you 10,000 get what we're doing? Because <laughs> everyone's like, when are you going to have this back in stock? Do you have this in another? Mm-hmm. And, and we're like, oh, no. 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 <laughs> so when you're doing something like this, and we have the same issue, so much of it is about education. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's part of your job, I would think. And I would hope to explain to people why you use natural dyes and how you the expectations just need to be a little bit different. And Absolutely. because and explain all these things. And I think people. But it gets exhausting. But yeah. I think when people understand it, they embrace the yeah, that's uniqueness true. of yeah. it. And totally. I think it's great that like we're doing that because maybe this person, when they buy from us and their t-shirt is like, like really cool and variegated, like maybe it opens their eyes like for whatever they buy next time. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have to be so 
perfect. Yeah, and like things that are imperfect are so beautiful yeah. too. And we're I like, think, oh, that spot. Cool. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> society just needs to embrace that message in general and apply it everywhere that like being imperfect is beautiful and not everything has to be held to such a high standard and if we can just accept that then life would flow a little bit easier I think totally it's not about like a high standard as in it's not high quality but just a different standard or just totally like the standard of society exactly Yeah. yeah Okay, so what does slow living mean to you ladies and how are you able to embrace that in your current life? Sounds like lots of ways. <laughs> yeah, I think slow living to me is just being able to spend as much time outside and like with intention and being present in all of the tasks that I'm doing throughout my day. Um, I think that's the beauty in creating your own business and setting it up to the way that meets your expectations or how you want to live your daily life where you know we'll work and then spend some time in the garden or eat lunch outside or go for a walk and just I think that makes you more present in the tasks that you have to do um, in your daily life. I also think like slow living is making like prioritizing yourself and prioritizing time outside um, in the mountains or hiking or wherever is local to you. We spend a lot of time at the beach and going on camping trips. I think our camping trips inspire a lot of the work that we do. And so it's very necessary for us to like take that break, cooking all of our meals, just being intentional with everything that you do to me is like living a very slow, beautiful life. I love that. How about you, Sarah? I think I agree with Allie. (laughs) Especially in the like the days where you can do things exactly as you want to and where you want to. Like to me, slow living is going to the beach. You're there from low tide to high tide. You watch the day change. You sit in the sand, go in the water, feel the air. I just think slow living is really about simplifying. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like Ali said, treating yourself the way you know you deserve and want to be treated in your meals and the way you take care of yourself and the things you consume, whether that be food or media or experiences and people. I think I have room for improvement in the area of slow living. (laughs) I don't know. I'm perfect at it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that's that's a big thing that Ali and I are looking for in our business and the life that it will give us just because, you know, life is a lot keep up with and we really want to prioritize the slowness in our lives so that we can just be the best versions of ourselves. I love that so much Sarah treat yourself the way you want to be treated (laughs) that's brilliant it's so wonderful to to hear this from such young people that uh, you know you have uh, the whole rest of your lives to cultivate it and you know it's a process and it comes gradually and some areas of your life are better than others. Yeah. And if you start now and if, if you know the areas you want to improve on, like even in this past year, like I feel like there are areas where like our slowness and presence has really improved. And 
if you keep working on it, like eventually everything's going to be just the way you hoped for. Yeah. And I think it's like not putting a lot of pressure on yourself. I think, you know, we live in a world where that is, it's a really big thing where everyone puts a lot of pressure. And I think with our business, it's like, okay, yeah, maybe we could have done everything better, but we didn't because we're humans and we're trying to like enjoy our life because it's precious and beautiful and you know, we're going to do the best we can, but we're not going to push ourselves and we're not going to work crazy, crazy hours Mm -hmm. and not give ourselves the time and the space that we need to actually show up and provide for our customers and the people that are listening. Because if you don't take care of yourself, you can't give to others. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So what does the good dirt mean to you ladies? I think it's that dirt (laughs) on your feet and under your nails and like the sand you bring home and your car and your purse and yeah can very much relate to that as I'm living that as I come back from this three-day camping trip but it's funny because I love that question because I was on this trip with my partner and we were just literally rolling around in the dirt and we were just talking about like how much we love being in the dirt like it's so weird but I just I love it I love what Sarah's saying like your toes in it it's under your fingernails and it's just I think it's another form of connecting with the earth you know how it's so like feeling like are you ever in like a plaster house or like a anything anything like natural building I feel like just feels different energetically Mm -hmm. and I think it's that same it's like the same feeling as like digging your toes in the sand or like whatever I don't know it's it's like truly a physical visceral feeling it's cool yeah and you girls would know this too when you start choosing natural fibers to wear on you know in 100% cotton (laughs) it has a different feel doesn't it yeah and like the same with natural soaps and natural Mm -hmm. it's like yeah no you just you can't yeah, it's really special. We had a customer come and like look at our rack and I'll never forget this because it just hit home so hard. But she was just like, I just tried on a bunch of these clothes and I I feel the essence of the plants. Like she's like, I can feel like the even looking at them like they're, you know, the regular colors that you would see in a rainbow, like blue and purple and yellow and pink, but something about them like represents the earth. Like you know that they come from somewhere different than like what you're normally seeing. And that just like melted my heart completely because I'm like, you get it. Like you know that when you wear these clothes that are dipped in the plants that come from the earth you're experiencing Mm. that you're experiencing that in your everyday life and it's just like how can we get closer to the earth whether you're truly like literally putting (laughs) dirt all around you or you're you're wearing it on your body in the form of clothing so true oh yes 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 that's wonderful i think the colors like physically also like vibrate differently like they have an energy coming off and they all look so well together like they yeah you can't Mm -hmm. like you like mismatch them or anything they're beautiful so is there anything else that you would like the listeners to understand about the work that you do or anything else you wanted to touch on before we close Yeah, I think it's just understanding that we like in creating this business, we're not trying to become this like big corporate brand. Like it really just stems from 
we want to create a lifestyle that works for us and meets our needs to make us happy. And we're creating something and giving back to the planet and the people and that there's everything we do, we try and do with authenticity and intention. We're just trying to create our own system in creating our own business. And I think that's a really important thing to know. And sometimes it is a lot having your own business and there's a lot of avenues and facets that you have to attend to. But sometimes we don't always get the chance to like really tell our customer that like everything we're doing is pure and it really comes from like a heart place and we're getting there and we're trying to find time to really implement that into everything that we put out there, whether that's through social media, emails or markets, etc. But I think, you know, we just want our customers to know that we really really are truly creating something from like an authentic place and it's not gonna I don't know we really don't want to compromise and won't compromise any mm-hmm. of our ethos I want them to picture you and your nightgown out in your driveway with your dick and your pops. <laughs> <laughs> at least that's what I'll be picturing when I go yeah. buy something for me after this I'm like that's what I'm getting yeah <laughs> thank you all so much for talking to us today it's been such a beautiful conversation I've loved it and yeah. we'll be in touch and yes thank you so much for having us it's been a really lovely conversation yeah. oh yay great thank you. Thank you. bye-bye bye-bye thank you for tuning in to the good dirt podcast if you enjoyed this episode we hope you'll share it with a friend to spread the good dirt This show is produced by Lady Farmer, a slow-living lifestyle community, and the original music is composed and performed by John Kingsley. For more from Lady Farmer, follow us on Instagram at WeAreLadyFarmer. That's WeAreLadyFarmer. Or join us online at www.ladyfarmer.com. We'll see you next time on The Good Dirt. Goodbye.